Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. This week, I have a very jam-packed episode, so we might as well just get into it. On the other mic, returning once again. It's Trish. It's Trish. It's Trish. I was trying to decide whether to say Trish or to say Morgan Freeman Crab. Morgan Freeman or which one of us is Barb and which is Star. I feel like I give off like big star vibes. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. I I feel like I've I've got the Barb vibe of you know like I'm I'm kind of fine just like hanging by myself and like yeah and I want to have stuff. sex with Jamie Dornan yeah yeah I think we worked this out uh welcome back Hunter Heilman Hunter I brought you on this week because I felt it was important to talk about I, I need to make sure because I keep messing up this title every Barb time and Star, I Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar thank you. Uh, which I'm is well the new with it. Kristen Wiig comedy that came out a couple weeks ago and has kind of become an internet sensation. And Yeah, talk about a movie that has benefited from not going to theaters. I know, and I, I thought uh, I first just wanted to open this episode out by getting kind of your thoughts on it, and I know you enthusiastically love this movie. I think while I don't love it, I like had a lot of fun watching it. Yeah. And even if it's not, uh, you know, I kind of like grade comedies on a like, how consistently was I laughing? And I don't know why I was like laughing my ass off at every single moment. I, I do kind of miss the just sort of like, let's throw spaghetti at the wall and just like cram this thing with as many gags as possible. But also and- <laughs> some like Brunswick stew and maybe like a hamburger and right. like just some rice too. Just see if literally anything in your pantry sticks to the wall. I mean, yeah, I so I was excited about this movie for a couple of reasons. One, I love Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo. What especially like Bridesmaids is genuinely one of my favorite comedies ever. I know it's so cliche, but it's it's just one of those movies that just gets me every time. You know, even I you know, I think even now with like how some people like Melissa McCarthy and Rebel Wilson and like other people have been overused since then to where that kind of initial mm-hmm. like revelation of, oh my god, these people are so awesome in this like movie together, um, has kind of worn off. This was one I was looking forward to. I didn't know really what to think. The trailers were very cryptic, which in turn really worked to its advantage. I wish more. I would agree. I wish more movies would do that. And I mean, I don't, I don't get interested in comedies much. Like everyone knows I'm a horror person. That's my thing. Like comedies on the exact opposite scale. And the thing is like comedies, specifically studio comedies, just don't make me laugh anymore. They just don't. I'm so ruined by stupid internet humor and it's so hard to like keep up with that. I feel like in this day and age of, of movies and so much is tailored to audiences that just aren't me. And there was something about this film I knew I'd say about three minutes in, I was like, Oh, this movie is made for me and only me until afterwards when I realized like, everyone was really really enjoying it but i was kind of like nervous going in i was like i don't know how this is gonna be you know it's been a while 
I love the aesthetic of this. I love this like 1980s like Florida just just flamingo exploded on a screen type of like aesthetic, but you know, I didn't know much going into it and I it was just my type of humor. It's dumb as hell. I mean, yeah, I mean and they're not trying to hide that for this like big reveal where something becomes dumb. It is dumb from the second it starts. Like yeah, I I, I think I think it's interesting you bring up bridesmaids and it's it's funny. Uh, my girlfriend and I actually just like randomly before I even knew this movie existed, we like watched bridesmaid rewatched bridesmaids a couple weeks ago, and I was just kind of thinking the whole time like, I I don't I don't want to totally tell Kristen Wiig like you've been doing a bad job or you haven't been taking the right stuff. Like I I'm sure there's a part of her that enjoys popping in stuff like mother or being like a super villain in a wonder woman movie but it is weird to think i wouldn't say super (laughs) it is weird technical (laughs) sure sure it it is weird to think of like when bridesmaids came out it was like oh okay so kristen wiggs gonna be the next like big comedy star and this is the first thing she got an oscar nomination both her and annie momolo got oscar nominations for it and right mccarthy but you know you know well and it feels weird that it took so long for kind of like a follow-up to that. And even still, this isn't exactly what I thought the follow-up would be. And I do really like, I think one of the things I found so refreshing about this that you kind of touched on is the sort of absurdism of it. It, This this is unapologetic. Yes. This is much more, I think closer to the kind of, um, the vibe of like an Austin Powers movie or something like Anchorman and some of the more like absurd Adam McKay comedies than it is necessarily like Bridesmaids, which is more in the tone of the like Judd Apatow comedies. And it's more kind of grounded and about like real people learning to grow up and learning to move on to a next stage in their life. This is just pound for pound. Like how many jokes can we fit into this one moment? And is just like, it it is so zany and all over the place, and I I think it's uh, something else that I kind of want to explore, and maybe I'll throw it back to you to give some of your favorite parts in this movie. But I I love the specificity of it, and you mentioning kind of like walking out feeling like this was something that was made just for me, and I like the idea that this this is a movie that feels like. <laughs> You know, it, it, it feels like Kristen Wiig and Amy Momolo. Is that how you say her name? I think that's it. I'm not 100% okay. sure on the pronunciation. I'm Momolo, Momolo. It feels like Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo, you know, just made a movie about, like, this is the stuff that makes us laugh. And of kind of like, we're not going to bother to kind of like meet you as an audience halfway. Yeah. It's just like. If if you don't find it funny, you don't find it funny. But we're just doing this for us. Either you get it, or you get it, or you don't. Like, yes, and and my girlfriend, I think, perfectly explained it as like it kind of feels like a movie of just a bunch of inside jokes between friends. But that's kind of part of the fun of it. And even because you can at least get in on them, so you feel like you're one of the friends. Exactly. Exactly. It's I, not I mean, like you're left out. It's like no, I'm very involved with this, and I'm having like a grand time and yeah like, i love vacation movies too well i'm i'm also someone who just misses 
I think the mainstream studio comedy. And it's it's interesting you bringing up kind of like not necessarily being a, a fan of that that kind of movie, but like Hollywood doesn't make that movie that kind of movie anymore. Like yeah. I was trying to think of like what's the last I feel like big mainstream comedy that debuted in theaters and and felt like a lot of people saw it 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 probably was like game night i think was the last one that i remember that i didn't even see game night i still haven't i'm so i'm so bad with that it's like i i hate being like i don't really like get into comedies and then when like good ones come out i just don't see yeah a couple years ago um some friends and i just for fun like made a list of like uh the funniest movies in our opinion of the 21st century but we use this arcane system that was basically like we could only pick one movie per year so uh so it it sort of forced us to go chronologically and the further and further we got to like i think 2019 was when we did this and when we got to like the uh, past 2015 it got very very hard to just even come up with stuff and i i think it, I don't know. There was just something refreshing about watching this where it was like, oh, this is a genre of movie that for some reason is it, it, studios just do not care to make for movies. And granted, what well, streamed this through Amazon Prime and paid 20 bucks for it. But you, you, you kind of get what I'm saying. I would pay $20 again. Yeah. I mean, this this feels sort of like, I don't know. It was just refreshing to have this mode of movie back in my life and a a movie that has no interest other than just making you laugh at every single possible moment of its runtime yeah the only thing about it being like at home is like i could just imagine like the entire time i was like me and my best friend bailey if we saw this in theaters together like we would be literally falling out of our seats laughing like together because i mean i was laughing like hysterically at some parts alone and i just i don't i don't find myself doing that particularly at like movies and there was just yeah it's the absurdism it's got like almost like even though it's not a parody it's got almost like an airplane feel to it like yeah that's another good comparison really just out there they say things that are just like it's a lot of like sight gags and a lot of just like puns and play on word like plays on word play on words i don't know yeah but just like clever wordplay that just like it just they're those jokes that if you blink you miss them but if you don't miss them you're just kind of like you just kind of sit there and just start slowly cackling to yourself and yeah and there's just all these like different references in it and one thing that surprised me going into it i was like okay cool like bridesmaids was rated r this is pg-13 i don't know how much i'm gonna like really like find this funny because you know whatever i like you know movies that you know can find funny things and vulgarity and things like that a this movie doesn't have to do that and b when it does there were times when I was like, how is this PG-13? It's one of the furthest, like, one of the furthest, like, reaching PG-13 movies I've ever seen. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, Kristen Wiig, Annie Momolo are both great in the roles. They're just super likable. But I came away just feeling like, okay, we've given him about eight different movies 
to become a star and he hasn't done it and now in this one movie that no one expected anything from jamie dornan has now become a star yeah i it's like do you want to just riff riff on on we former gave him 50 a shade whole, star <laughs> we gave him a whole franchise based on a best-selling book where he was the titular character that was supposed to be sexy and like charming and all of these things and somebody somebody lied to him several times and like this movie he plays like a spy assassin who gets romantically involved with Kristen Wiggs like mid 40s Nebraska not even housewife because she's not married but like character and it's so absurd and he has multiple musical sequences and I'm not going to spoil anything beyond that but this was that movie where a he's hilarious b i think he can actually sing c this he is sexier in i think five minutes of this movie than he was in all three 50 shades movies because i did see all three i only saw one and three i genuinely only remember the first one i saw one Uh... two and three but i don't remember anything past the first one um, I mean, it, it, th- I, w- I would agree with you of like, th- this is the first time, this is the only time he's ever clicked or like made sense to me yeah. in a movie as, as a, a movie star and not just like a piece of furniture. Well, like, that's what I thought he was going to be going in. I was like, okay, he's like the male love interest. He's going to be like, he's going to play the straight man to these like really over the top characters. But like, he really especially near the end of the film and like going through it especially with a lot of the scenes where it's just him on his own or him with like other supporting characters who i won't spoil but like there are just times where i mean he really gets to match up with them in terms of just like sheer absurdity he is not this like you know character who's hot for the sake of being hot it's like no He's there to be just as absurd as these characters, even if he doesn't look like it on the surface. And I think that's what makes everything so much more surprising from that end. It's like yeah. going into it. I knew Kristen Wiig and Annie Momolo could do that, like could do that kind of slapstick absurdist comedy. I didn't know Jamie Dornan could. And that was one thing that I left. I was like, he's like that. There it is. Like, that's something that I would like to see him do again or just like bring that sort of like energy bring the same energy he brought to this to whatever else he does because i don't think he's done it so far and this was the first one where i really was just kind of like it felt like a star making performance despite the fact he's been around for quite a long time and uh has been in several high profile movies yeah i would say the the musical sequence with him in that it there's a very valiant comp- uh campaign to Why? try and get him into the 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 sort of best song category at the oscars how is it not alas, it's not even on the short list is it is it technically next year i don't it, i don't, I don't, so. I don't know surely not because it came out the same weekend as judas and the black messiah and that's yeah. somehow i don't know it's so Was there wrong. like a previous date? You and I are the Oscar prognosticators here, so we should That's know this. That's the thing. But... It's like, it, I, I think it is this year by all of the parameters they set forth. So my my 
thing is they probably didn't i'm sure lionsgate did not think this movie was going to do particularly well they would have held it for theaters for like a summer release if they thought because it was supposed to be released this upcoming summer in theaters oh okay well it was supposed to be released last summer but then they were going to do it this summer push it back because it is like a very summery movie the kind of i guess valentine's day release date was a little strange but like not entirely out of out of place but it was a very quick like oh just kidding we're not gonna we're gonna put this on demand not even like in theaters and on demand just on demand which that scared me i was like oh yikes like they didn't sell it they didn't do anything they were just like nope here's the movie in two weeks it's like oh oh okay never mind uh here we go yeah it it i i i feel like i had no idea of its existence until probably like a couple weeks before it or whenever that first trailer came out and even then it was all i knew was like a new kristen wig comedy and that's about all i knew that first that first trailer apparently has been out for over a year oh wow they put out that trailer when bombshell came out but they didn't put it online because COVID came through very quickly and disrupted everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, apparently, like, I remember when the trailer first dropped, everyone was like, I saw this in theaters last Christmas. This isn't new. It's wow. Like, it is for me because I didn't see Bombshell in theaters. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, it's just like, and one thing I'm noticing a lot, and of course, it makes perfect sense as to why I love this movie so much. This movie is hitting it off wonderfully with the gays. It's just like that type of of film. I mean, drag queens are doing watch parties with it, like fully like it's it's just that movie that I feel like kind of brings together a community to just like laugh for a little bit, which you know, we we are not an unfunny people, but it is nice to kind of like see something that's not even like there's no queer elements to this film. But it is decidedly gay in that it's just like gaudy and over the top and it's absurdist and it has musical numbers, multiple and like just stupid humor. And it just like it speaks to so much of like I feel like what what the community what like the LGBTQ community looks for in a film and like it just it's feel good. And right now, like, you know. I hate when people say this is the film we need right now when they're talking about like Judas and the Black Messiah or like Minari just because like it's just white people being like this movie has not white people in it like we this is the movie we need. I think this is genuinely the movie we need right now in terms of just like just checking out for an hour and 45 minutes to the stupidest thing you can possibly think of that is so completely just detached from reality to just laugh for a little while and yeah i mean it's 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 been fun to see this kind of like become a sort of cult classic in real time already yeah and 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 see sort of like the the weekend after i saw it which i guess was the valentine's day weekend and See, seeing it become this very like hot thing that people were talking about online and then automatically thinking like oh i need to plan an episode around this because clearly like this is uh something that a lot of people are talking about yeah um i i I wanted to briefly kind of like transition us to i think 
if the thing about Barb and Star that I admire most is sort of this extreme specificity, um, I think that's also something that can be said for Minari, which we've kind of like beaten around the bush of on this podcast series for several months. And it feels weird that like a movie that debuted at Sundance last year and um i don't know about when the first time you saw it was i saw it back in october i think was when i saw i like watched like an online press um event for it that there was like a q a afterwards and so oh, even yeah. i had to like rewatch it recently yeah, um, i was at a later one My, i watched it in november but because i i i got to see it well before like our voting deadline for ncfca but uh, it was a little bit later than the first showings because I couldn't make that first showing. I wanted a daytime one. But. Yeah, so, I mean, this is another movie that I think its kind of beauty is in its specificity, and it is, on one hand, this very, like, universal story, but it's also so steeped in, uh, you know, the, 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 the experiences of its its filmmaker and yeah because it's like when you think about it it's like okay universal there's you know themes of family and if you want to get a little bit more specific it's like being in a family of like being a first generation immigrant right being a first generation korean american immigrant that's even more specific you want to go even more specific being a first generation korean american in what oklahoma or Arkansas. Arkansas. Rural, rural Arkansas. Rural Arkansas. You know, when you think, because that's the thing, it's like, I feel like a lot of stories about, like, you know, Korean-American or any sort of, like, East Asian immigrant stories, it's a lot of times in, like, the West Coast or right. in these, like, bigger cities. But seeing it in, like, rural Arkansas, it is such a specific story that there's not many people that are going to identify it like identify with it specifically yes that's a small that is a small subgroup of people and but i think because lee isaac chung was working from his own experience own very specific experience with that um personal experience can open things up to to those universal things themes that are that's making Minari so successful. I mean, I guess it also should be worth noting Minari won best picture at the NCFCA. Yeah. This year, which was yeah. surprising. Uh, our critics. Yeah. Before, our critics but... association. Um, yeah. And, and, and this is a movie that um, I don't think you and I have like personally talked about it, although I know we've both seen it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm fascinated to get your opinions on it. I, I kind of wasn't surprised when our critics group kind of, labeled it as our kind of film of the year pick if if only because like i, I thought it was think... going to be chicago seven do you know how much of a sigh of relief it was when i saw that i was surprised uh... but i was like oh thank god oh well, I'm, thank god i'm, we I'm, just I'm not really bullet. surprised it is minari because i do feel like this is sort of the the film of last year that i feel like has kind of um universal consensus i don't think i've talked to any one person that straight up like did not like it like i've i've heard yeah. from some people who maybe were like i don't maybe did not put it among their like favorite things they saw last year but certainly have gotten back to me and were like 
that was a very sweet and charming movie. It was like like my number 16. Like it was, it was on my list, but it wasn't, it wasn't like in the top. So it's one of those, like, I think it is so incredibly charming. I think it is so incredibly well acted. I mean, definitely just one of those slice of life movies where it's that acting that doesn't feel like acting. You know, you look at something like Judas and the Black Messiah or something like that. Those people are acting beautiful mm-hmm. performances, but it is like a showcase performance. The performances of Minari aren't that. And I think that's what makes them so effective is because it's not like a grandiose prestige performance. It is really intimate. It is a really uh just like down to earth drama that doesn't seek to like proselytize or put out any message other than like what it has on the surface, which saying that makes it sound like it's shallow. It's not shallow in the absolute slightest. Um, But it is just this very quiet and grounded film that I think that's, that's another thing I think a lot of people really identify with this movie with is that it just, it feels like life. It's not this stylized yeah. over the top or even like over dramatized, like portrait of anything. Yeah. There are some dramatic things that happen in the film, but it, it's not, it's not a sob story, but it's also not like a story of great triumph. It's just like a story of, of just survival. It, yeah. You know, and I, I, I think that's, that's another key. Not even yeah. survival. Survival makes it sound like there's a like a massive, massive struggle. It's just like it's a story of just like keeping, keeping your head above water, in a in a in a, literally like a a place you have yet to understand. Yeah, I'm curious to see like do you do you think sort of outs because thus far I think the conversation about this movie has mostly been driven by critics and people in the industry and one of the reasons i kind of postponed talking about it for so long is that it's only kind of just now that kind of because a24 postponed it for so long yeah and i i'm i'm in do you think this is a movie that people kind of like have on their radars and are 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 sort of discovering because i i do think it kind of has some of the similar elements of like yeah you know what happened with moonlight a few years ago and i think what was so powerful to people about that movie was kind of this everyday slice of life aspect the the idea that you were just seeing a movie that is just like these are just people living their lives and are just trying to like make it through day to day and that is a, a very interesting thing to think about in the oscar conversation because most of the time oscar winners go to movies that are based off of historical events or are about Hollywood or are about big quote unquote thematic issues. And it's very rare that you get something that's kind of just like, like you said, a sort of like day in a life. These are just normal everyday people just trying to, in the case of this movie, I think there is something powerful and relatable about just like, I want to make money in order to just sort of like, feed my family and to just make a living not be rich just i i want to make a living yeah. and i think in 
we kind of talked about this a little bit with Nomadland a couple months ago, and but I think that's kind of a a powerful theme at a time when there is so much unemployment in the country and there's so many people that because of the pandemic are just like I said struggling just to I just want to provide either for myself or for my family um I, I don't know do you do you get a sense that just kind of like normal everyday moviegoers are aware of this movie or kind of like have it on their radar to check out I don't know I do know I mean I have seen commercials for it on television mm-hmm. um so I do know that they're trying to get the word out at least I would argue that Minari I would kind of agree with the Moonlight statement. I do think Moonlight does deal with the more grand, dramatic themes element Mm -hmm. of the Oscars a little bit more than Minari does, which I think is going to be kind of the thing that sinks Minari a little bit in the Oscar conversation. Because it's just not... It's it's maybe too small. It's just not interesting enough for them. (laughs) Which is like, I mean, that's just... I I mean I can't say anything about awards voters at this point that hasn't been repeated by a million and a half other critics, but um, it's it's I, maybe hard to put a big kind of thematic because even even if like that was maybe it. my take of Moonlight of like you could put to like the the sort of this is this is a gay rights movie on or like uh, a black I would say lives like a movie. like a gay identity yeah journey. you could put that kind of graphing onto Moonlight and this is maybe. Um, I mean, it's some of the kind of uh, connections I was making to kind of the economy today. Maybe that's an easier connection to make to something like Nomadland, in which case the, yeah. the campaign for that movie is very, very aggressive oh, to like, yeah. this I'm is about now. For it left and right. Yeah. Um, but that, I mean, I would almost say that Minari is what. I just I don't know how to describe it without sounding pompous because we're not allowed to say anything bad about this movie anymore but um i'm gonna i think minari more uh more effectively shows the ins and outs of rural life i would say at least 10 times better than hillbilly elegy does oh no (laughs) i'm sorry i hate coming for you (laughs) but that's the thing hillbilly elegy despite the fact that like you know hillbilly elegy is one of those prime examples of like just because critics hated it does not mean that that uh awards voters aren't going to and the fact that that is getting more traction in award season than minari it's like okay you guys are literally all people from la filling in what you think rural life is like you think Mm -hmm. it's you know you think it's like drug addiction and overcoming it to be rich and famous and also like a horrible person on twitter um and just like you know going to yale getting out when minari i feel like is so much more about just like literally what most working class people are trying to do which is keep keep your head above water keep Mm -hmm. your family safe keep your family fed and I think it it speaks so much more to that quintessential non-urban American experience. Um, but of course, you know, it's a quote foreign film, a foreign film from oh, the God. USA somehow. But whatever, 
you darn know? you and, golden globes and that's the thing that's what that it is othering itself from something like hillbilly elegy which i feel like is i mean you know what i don't like jd vance so i'm just gonna say it. i think it is just a ploy for sympathy and uh money that can get people from outside of those areas to read and be like read or see and be like oh don't we feel bad for those people i don't see anyone that i like grew up with with hillbilly elegy growing mm -hmm. up in the south growing up with a family that came out from kind of the middle of nowhere tennessee do you want to know who i see in minari my grandma my grandma is a white lady mm. from who was born and raised in tennessee but i see her in yunyu jung's character of the grandma even though she is a Korean immigrant who doesn't speak English. And like that, that again, it's those universal themes of like, you can try to speak to as many people as possible in your film and in turn, probably alienate most of the people that you actually want to speak to. Or you can make a movie where it's like, technically I shouldn't see myself in this from like a very specific standpoint. But if we look back at everything, rather than the specific elements, I feel like it just paints a much more effective picture of what it's trying to accomplish than a lot of other, a lot of other films of its ilk try to do, you know, it's not an outside in project. It is literally like coming from someone who has been there and is working from the inside out and is doing it for noble reasons is telling the story not because they got a book deal or just because someone told them that they would fund their movie minari felt like a story that like liazic tongue has always been wanting to tell and finally got the chance to agreed i definitely so, agree with that it, it's just like it, it is a and that's the thing i'm not surprised of it's kind of othering during the award season because of course it is they're not white they're not American. They're not Americana, even though it's literally probably the most Americana movie I saw last year. So maybe, maybe Nomadland's a little bit more, but like that's, but even then Nomadland's directed by a Chinese American immigrant. Right? So it's like, you know, it just, it just continually shows like Hollywood's idea of what the American dream quote is is just continually changing but also you're seeing so much of this during award season that it's just like like real like we really wouldn't I'm, like we shouldn't be surprised but i continually am disappointed with how it's going because i mean like if chloe jaw had cast an asian american actress in francis mcdormand's role in nomadland i don't think it would be getting the same traction it's getting because yeah. it would immediately be othered as like, oh, she's not telling an American story. She's telling an Asian American story. And it's like, no, no, like pay attention to the last part of that. It's still very, it's still as American as any other American produced film that came out this year is, if not more. So well, I had to get that I, off I, my I, chest. I am very frustrated <laughs> by this whole experience. No, no, you're good. But yeah, I, uh, lovely, I, I, lovely I can't, film. Yes, it, Minari is a very lovely movie um i'm excited for steven yoon continuing to just and sp spread his wings like and, 
God help me. I want you, Union Jung to get into the to the Oscar conversation. Do I think she will? No, because Mamma has to come in and take it from her. But it's fine. Whatever. Well, I would I would encourage all of our listeners to check out Minari. It's right now. Could been you imagine doing this- <laughs> if Glenn Close wins her Oscar this year for Hillbilly Elegy in the same year that a Cruella? Um, something I kind of wanted to end this 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 podcast on. Um. A pretty like talked about uh take piece of writing in the 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 film community was um Uncle Marty Martin Scorsese was uh dropped some hot takes again recently. And once um, again, he wasn't wrong. No, I would and say I'm he, not, he and wasn't. And I'm not one to like sit and like kiss Martin Scorsese's ass all day. I'm just not that. Person. I definitely am. I'm. I, you are. You are I definitely but I'm, am. I'm certainly not. So it's like I actually have to read what he has to say, and decide from that point whether I was with it. And I was with this from beginning to end because I think he genuinely, he genuinely was correct. Because if you watched the Disney Plus like shareholder event back in. I don't know. Was it November or something? I watched it. I, I feel like watched it was December. It was like mid- early December. I watched all four hours of it. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. But I watched it, and they said the word content about 160 times. So you yeah. Can't so tell, should, you should can't, probably you can't tell me that they're oh yeah that they're yeah. Not so going we, should, out. we should probably elaborate like what what Scorsese wrote, which essentially he wrote this this big piece in Harper's Magazine. Um, basically, My it was like an Harper. ode. Oh wow! Is is your dog Harper a subscriber to Harper's Magazine? No, um, <laughs> she can't read. Okay, well that's unfortunate. But we're we're working on it. <laughs> um, but Scorsese wrote this. It, it it was basically like a long tribute to Federico Fellini, who's one of his big heroes. But in in this Fellini piece, he kind of talks about being a teenager in the 1950s and traveling from movie house to movie house in the 50s and seeing all the the greats of foreign cinema during that time in new york and he i think kind of puts his finger on a worry of his um you know not not too and i feel like it's set off a a similar heated debate kind of like his marvel comments a couple years ago and this which we will not get into and was like the most ludicrous overblown thing I've Well, like, it also in re- it really did give into the reaction to what he said recently though because I don't think what he said recently was inflammatory, but because it's Martin Scorsese now and because MCU stands now have a bounty on his head, anything he says is immediately wrong in their eyes. So well, basically what he he kind of touched on was this worry that con that this idea of content is replacing art and yes. we are and that studios and that consumers as well are just sort of thinking about the stuff we watch as content. It's just stuff to fill time. It's just stuff to fill space on a streaming service. And that and viewers we are, are not... so much more are so much more viewed as consumers now as opposed to people who are buying into art. Right. Or even we are not taking the time to kind of enjoy or think about or consider film as an art form. Um, you you know, and this is something that I've kind of struggled with myself recently in recent years of just sort of like you and I are both in a critics group. 
we get to a certain point in the year where we're getting sent tons of screeners and it's like you were yeah. just checking stuff off a list to make sure we can't we know about performances and stuff that we might need to vote for last year during you know this whole pandemic i like made this long list of stuff i wanted to watch and was just sort of checking stuff off a list and felt a little bad of just sort of like am i taking the time to sort of appreciate and think about this and consider the choices yeah and i think that's a novel idea that a, a challenge scorsese is is putting at our foot um understandably to some extent it, yeah. it it got some pushback and i think one of the things scorsese suggested was better curation on some of these streaming services and while I think yeah. I agree with him, I also kind of understand some of the blowback of people. You know, I, there is an aspect of kind of curation that can lean towards elitist. And yeah. uh, but also, like, I probably agree with Scorsese of like, you know, when my girlfriend and I are trying to find something to watch on Netflix on a Thursday, we probably spend like 45 minutes to an hour yeah. trying to just find something because it, it everything just has the same is given the same sort of space and yeah. but that space is sort of nothingness and, and the one of the things are both so specific and so broad it's like do you want this science fiction horror comedy drama with a strong female lead and then like spotlight will be in there it's just like right. you had this really just dis like distinct thing that implied that you had enough to like fill out this whole section and then you put stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with it in there and again it's all computer algorithms rather than curation yeah and that's and that's something that scorsese kind of criticized is like so much of how we consume stuff or find stuff in these digital spaces is based off algorithms and that algorithm is tailored to what you have previously watched and which is not always you, what you're gonna watch in the future you right have and change and how are you supposed to discover something if it's just sort of basing stuff off of your previous viewing habits? Yeah. And I will agree with him of just getting back yeah. to the Netflix thing of like, you know, I am a subscriber to the Criterion channel. I I love the fact that I when I open the Criterion channel, there are various collections for like actors for directors for genres like last night my girlfriend and i fired up they have a lovers on the run section on there and we were just able to like add a couple movies on our queue knowing like oh this is a kind of like yeah. genre of movie that we would be interested in and so sure we can watch this jean-luc godard movie that normally like would not even think of to watch and have an evening with that and consider that as a work of art and I, I don't know what what were your thoughts on what Scorsese wrote because I I I I understand some of the pushback that people had in regards to the the curation stuff but and and there is a little bit of it that's like old man screams into the void about yeah, like old I, man yells at cloud like right it's like I don't know that this stuff is necessarily being changed but I did think it was an interesting charge to some of these streaming services in having a better way for people to discover stuff and it you know it weirdly made me think of like the movie atlantics from a couple of years ago great foreign language movie was on netflix yep 
Netflix wasn't doing anything Do to promote you know it. How, <laughs> I mean, for so many Netflix movies, you know how many I get on the homepage and it's nowhere to be found? Like, day of release, nowhere right. to be found. And it's like, oh, what's the number one movie? Oh, it's the boss baby again. Okay, cool. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, I have to specifically search for this one movie. And a lot of times they're not even the first one listed. It's a Netflix original and it's not even the first one listed sometimes. So it's like, it just it's it's frustrating and i i also can kind of speak to the curation thing as well i i get both sides but i also don't like i don't think curation is inherently elitist i do think some of the sites that focus heavily on curation can seem elitist i am not mm -hmm. someone who has a criterion channel subscription i know y'all are gonna crucify me i don't use it I've gotten it like three times. I just don't use it. And what I do use is I use a lot of Shudder. Shudder is a horror streaming service owned by AMC. It's a great streaming service. It's only like $5 a month and I love it. And what's great about it is that it is also incredibly curated. It is curated sometimes with some trashy content, like truly like B movies, Japanese horror movies, like truly just like everything across the board but they categorize everything in such a way that it's not hard to find things it's not hard right to, it, they have those collections they have live channels on there they have four live channels that they show like shutter originals they show like films from like cheesy films from the 80s so like you can literally just turn it on and catch something like it's television but it's you know online so you can just like literally just come across something that you wouldn't even think of you might you wouldn't even choose so i think it's one of those things of like you think of curation and you think of criterion channel you think of movie you think of these these streaming services that have a little bit more of a of an artful twist to it which i don't think a lot of the like main mainline crowd of movie watchers and honestly myself and to some extent i like genre films i like things like that and you know you don't get a lot of those or at least the kind that i gravitate towards on those channels so i can understand you know people who are really into like marvel or disney plus kind of looking at that and thinking mm -hmm. that's that's okay like sit down sir but if you think about it, Disney can curate just as much as Criterion Channel can. There is absolutely nothing saying that they can't do that. That they can't effectively group and promote things and, like, put things in... Not just groups of, like, oh, do you want, like, all the Marvel movies together? Do you want all the Star Wars movies you can watch? Like, let's talk about, like, you know, stars or let's maybe think about different tones of these films rather than just like here's the simpsons collection it's like let's right like we can more effectively go and find things that people might not initially watch a lot of people don't know that on disney plus they have like documentaries on almost every single one of their disney plus original shows about how they're made yeah. if they can more effectively like target those people that are going to go after things like that like i don't i don't think they have one for wandavision but i'm sure once it finishes they're going to 
I'm sure once, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier finishes, they're going to have those like deep dives that I don't think Disney's going to push that much. So I think it's not, I don't think it's really asking too much to do it. I think it's just the people who are currently doing it, it can feel elitist because it's like, well, maybe I don't want to watch a John Luke Godard movie. Maybe I want to watch something trashy. Maybe I want to watch something assembly line because it's like, you know, you can agree or disagree with the Martin Scorsese all you want on the Marvel stuff. I, I just don't care, honestly, because I enjoy yeah. <laughs> Marvel and I also enjoy Martin Scorsese. But, you know, I just don't I don't think that like looking out for the people who are paying for your service to like feel catered to and especially if netflix and disney and hulu and all these places are going to continually raise their prices then i'm going to start expecting that yeah so, i mean and- i mean the the netflix sort of home page or whatever what you want to it's describe horrid. it it's like it's a mess you can't it's find terrible. anything on there it's absolutely terrible netflix is hard to scroll through because it's just like well if i don't know exactly what i want to watch I'm going to be spending more time trying to find something to watch rather than what I'm watching. And, and well, and, and, that, and Scorsese is also like someone who's just thinking about, I think like the history and preservation of cinema. And I'm sure there is an aspect to this that it's like, you know, if, if the model is just kind of like, you know, you brought up the Disney shareholder meeting, which was both kind of exciting while also felt like a sort of dystopian futuristic yeah, they thing. said content at least 160 times they i don't feel like they ever talked about like filmmaking styles or anything like that which like for a lot of people maybe they don't care about that that much but i mean if i had money in disney i'd want to know what type of things they were making as opposed to just the the franchises they're going to continue to milk Right. And so I think there is an aspect of this that is like, we're just sort of waiting for, you know, I'm going to unfairly use the, 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 a Marvel comparison, even, even though I want to make it clear that I, 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 I think most Marvel movies are fun, but yeah. you know, the way that like, I feel like so much of the WandaVision conversation I've been having with people is like, what does this thing mean for like the next thing that I have to watch? And it's just sort of anticipating the next piece of content i need to con- consume it's like, just watch it it's not a big deal it's generally it's pretty much insular and, right you and, know, and if that... you don't have to know that much outside of it you don't even yeah. really have to know that like monica rambo is the daughter of uh the other i forgot her mom's name oh my god but she was in captain marvel you yes. don't have to know that that is that character from captain marvel's daughter to enjoy that character as a whole or to you know identify with her it's one of these things that i feel like they put so much stake into building a universe when in reality i think a lot of people just want to watch stuff and yeah and and i think there is an aspect of kind of what i was getting to with scorsese thinking about film preservation that's like how do you how do you set up a system where like here, I, I won't even get artsy fartsy and say like discover like a Jean-Luc Godard movie, but like something like Snow White, I guess if we're just thinking about like Disney stuff, like like how do you ensure that someone who's like a child that's like four is still able to discover something like that and that feels like a brand new thing to discover as opposed yeah. to just like, well, it's there. You gotta gotta like 
sift through like 200 some titles to yeah. get to it but it's or there like, you can find it like, you look like, for it or even like the mid-level like disney stuff of the 2000s like right you know what's to say that like someone who was born in i don't know what's the year 2021 someone who was born in 2009 or even younger wouldn't absolutely love like the 1998 parent trap or like freaky friday or if we're you know what if we're going off of Lindsay lohan stuff what about Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen or Harvey Fully Loaded? Those things get hidden because it's like, you know, it's they're not the hot titles anymore. But that doesn't right. mean and that they're it's... without merit. But then when I yes. get on a lot of stuff, stuff that I'm not going to say doesn't have merit, but doesn't have a lot of merit gets really mm-hmm. like pushed in my face. And it's like, okay, I don't need that. I don't need all of this and i would just rather be able to scroll through stuff and i think it also keeps i know for a fact netflix's home screen is genuinely what keeps my grandma from using netflix i gave her my netflix password i made her a profile i taught her how to use it but she just gets overwhelmed with it if she could more effectively like find exactly what she wants on there she would use it but i you know it's just it's so much and you know choice as a consumer is great but being barraged with stuff that is yeah genuinely random and not user-friendly that's not so yeah i mean i think about it like i mean this is to some extent very literal because you know these companies think about these streaming services as libraries but you know it's it's it's, it's kind of like going to the library and there's no like, Dewey decimal system or you go into a Walmart, you go into a Walmart and it's not sectioned. It's yeah. Just like, it's like, why is, why are the carrots next to the Listerine? Or, or what or I was going to say is like. It's like going into any <laughs> TJ Maxx ever. It's just everything's all over the place. Yeah. Or, or, you know, like my, my library comparison of like, if I go into the public library here in I town, like. The library. Yeah. I'm I mean. <laughs> they have kind of some curation and they have titles that they like recommend and like fun kind of collections of different kinds of books and different sections and stuff. And it's not just this sort of dumping ground where just like random books are on the walls and it's just like, all right, good luck. You'll find something. And I, I, that's how I took the Scorsese couple paragraphs in this Fellini essay was just sort of a charge to just, if we're just going to have all of this stuff on streaming services, like we, we need to put a little bit more thought into it. And, and we, you, it, it just doesn't need to be there to sort of fill space. We need to be like pushing people, people to it. know their stuff that can easily curate these things for you. Do you know how many people who like literally have studied these things, maybe not at a university, but genuinely like have just made their lives out of these things. They're like, you mean the amount of Marvel fans that you see out there that has to imply that there are people who have studied this stuff, who can meaningfully put together collections of curations of things that actually mean something as opposed to just lumping everything together. So, you know, it's just like you have these people that know, like, you know, you can clown stands and fans all you want, but at the end of the day, a lot of them know what they're talking about in terms of that specific content. So let's, maybe we can utilize that. Maybe not the toxic ones who think uh, that Doctor Strange is 
experimental science fiction cinema. Oh my god. <laughs> or that Captain America Winter Soldier is a surreal avant-garde political thriller. But, like, people who actually can, like, look at these things and, like, make real educated, like, deep dives into all of this, all of the art that's available on these different services, not just content. Well... Hunter, thank you for stopping by again this week to discuss Barb's stars and content of all of all kind, including Minare. Barb and Star go. I was trying to. Like, Barb and Star go to Arkansas and. Well, I was like, grow Man- I was like Minar, like no, that doesn't work, like because Minari's not even a place. It's a buckwheat. I think so. I can't remember exactly what it was. I need to go back and watch it. It's lovely. I need like that disconnect from reality. I need a Barb and Star and Minari. Nope.